So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You pray with me. Father, how could something so amazing as taking five loaves and a couple of fish and feeding 5,000 people go so badly? So grant that we would see ourselves here where we are in this text. Who are we? Who are you? What went wrong? Grant that it not go wrong in these rooms here, south, north campus, in anybody's heart or mind. Instead, help us to see what Jesus wished they had seen. In his name we pray, amen. One of the reasons that God created bread created grain and water and yeast and fire and human intelligence to make bread, and I have in mind the, the really good kind of bread, you know, German bread, not, not the kind that's 90% air. The reason, one of the main reasons, and I really believe this with all my heart, One of the main reasons that God created bread is so that when Jesus Christ came into the world, He would be able to use it to illustrate 
from its delightful and nourishing qualities what it's like to believe on Him and to be satisfied with Him. I believe that with all my heart. Bread exists on the planet in history to help you know what it is to be satisfied in Jesus. God knew what He was going to do when He created the universe. The same is true of water. The same is true of light. And I would argue the same is true of every good thing Jesus has made. Nothing exists for itself. All things were created through Him and for Him, Colossians 1.16. Every honorable pleasure that we have in this created world, in created things, every honorable pleasure that we have in this world was designed by God to give a faint taste of heaven and make us hunger for Christ. Every partial satisfaction in this life is designed by God to point to the perfect satisfaction in Jesus who made the world for Himself. The pleasures of warm bread should send our senses and our spirits to Christ, the bread of life. The pleasures of cold water on a hot day when we're really thirsty should send our senses and our spirits to the pleasures of Christ, the living water. The pleasures of light that makes all beauty visible should send all of our senses and our spirits to the light of the world. Jesus Christ. That's why light exists. That's why water exists. That's why bread exists. And everything exists for Him. If you don't know that, you're probably drowning in idolatry. So, in John 6, we watch Jesus work a miracle with natural bread. He created bread. Five loaves and two fish don't feed 5,000 people. He created bread. Again, ready-made. So verses 1 to 15 tell the story of that. That amazing bringing bread into existence again as the Creator And then the rest of the chapter, it's a long chapter, 71 verses. The rest of the chapter is all about Jesus showing people who didn't get it with increasingly provocative and offensive language what they were supposed to have seen and didn't see. It's about himself. By the time Jesus is done 
pressing on these people for 71 verses, most of them leave him. They're ticked. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So what in the world did he say about this event that made them so alienated from him? What didn't they get? Will you not get it? Will you leave after this service like they left? I pray not. I've been praying for you through the afternoon that that not be the case. They didn't all leave. Look at verse 67. Do you want to go away as well? He asked the twelve. You want to go away too? And Peter, bless him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Verse 68. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So they didn't see it perfectly, but they saw enough to stay. And I hope even if you're not all the way there, By the end of this service, you'll see enough to hang in there with Jesus and just keep talking to him, keep asking him, keep pleading with him to show you who he really is, what's going on in in the Bible. So my purpose in this first message on, I have no idea how many sermons on this chapter, a number. (laughs) This is rich, eager to spend a year in this chapter, easy to spend a year in this chapter. We won't. So my first plan is to, is to just take the 15 verses, step back and say, so what happened and what, why, was, why did it unleash this to try to just get the, the event and the response sorted out here and then we're just going to go a little bit at a time and, and figure out what he wanted to say about this that they were so slow to get. So he... He fed 5,000 people, at least. I mean, 5,000 men. The word is men in the original language. And we know from other Gospels there were women and children as well. He had five barley loaves to work with, it says, and a few fish. So uh, the chapter tells the story of of how, how it happened. That's verses 1 to 15. And then verses 16 to 71 is the, is the unpacking for people what it meant. And the meaning in the Gospel of John is, is always deeper than people think it is. So the beginning and the end here of this 15 verses about the feeding of the 5,000 shows that Jesus is doing more than feeding people with natural bread. But these people were in no spiritual condition to see it. And they didn't see it. And that's why it ends as badly as it does. Now, we've seen this again uh, often, maybe three times at least, four depending on how you count them. We've seen this before. Jesus does something in the natural realm or says something with regard to the natural world and he's pointing through it to the 
spiritual world and the people he's talking to goes right over their heads. We've seen this before. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And they say, took 46 years to build this temple. And they miss it. Or, he says to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And he says, how do you get back in your mother's womb? And he didn't get it. Or he says to the woman at the well, I will give you living water. And she says, you don't have a bucket. And the well is deep. They're just, it's just, this is happening again and again in the Gospel of John. He takes natural language, natural things, and wants them to go with him inside into reality through bread, through water, through light, and go into reality. And people don't go there. They don't go there. They are dead to spiritual realities. And this gospel is written to help people live. These things are written that you might believe and live. So it's happening again here. All right, here we are in chapter 6, and it's happening again. Verses 1 and 2. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. That's not encouraging. We've seen this language before. This doesn't help me be hopeful. Chapter 2, verse 23. Remember? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Next verse, verse 24 of chapter 2. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in all people. They were excited about his signs. Who doesn't get excited about signs? You don't have to be born again to get excited about signs, healings. So I'm, I'm cautioned when I hear those words that maybe this isn't going to go so well because these people are following Jesus as a sign doer. And they may be genuine, they may not be. Are they? Let's go to the end of the story, verses 14 and 15, the end of the event. When the people saw the sign, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, the very word sign ought to tip us off what it, what it is, right? It's pointing to something. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to come and take him before us and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He left them. He walked away from them. He would have nothing to do with this acclamation. But to the prophet, 
You're the king. We've been waiting for you for centuries. You're it. And he left them. Why? Is it not true? Is he not the prophet? Is he not the king? Why did he withdraw? Because the enthusiasm of these people is not for who he really is. This is important for us today. Really important. It is possible to be excited about a Jesus. Really excited. Who is not the real Jesus. They were, and there he was. The real Jesus was standing in front of them. Just like he might be preached in a pulpit. But the Jesus they were excited about wasn't that. They were seeing him through glasses that made him what he wasn't. Today, it may be a morally exemplary Jesus. It may be a socialist Jesus. It may be a capitalist Jesus. It may be an anti-Semitic Jesus. It may be a white racist supremacist Jesus. It may be a revolutionary liberationist Jesus. It may be a countercultural cool hip Jesus, who you never call Christ, you just always call Jesus. And that's not who he was. The whole Jesus has to be gotten from the whole Bible, and he gives his life as a ransom for many. And if your enthusiasm is for a Jesus that's not the real Jesus, then you don't bring any honor to the real Jesus, and he will walk away from you. He will go into a mountain and have fellowship with his Father rather than receive the acclamations of a very excited people who don't know who he is. This is very serious for us today. They saw something right, didn't they? They said he was the prophet. And the king. Verse 14, at the end of the verse, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and make him king, he withdrew. Isn't he the king? Isn't he the the prophet? Let's talk about each of those for just a minute. The prophet. What what is that referring to? You, You may not know the biblical Old Testament background of that. It's referred to three or four times in the New Testament. It's a reference to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, where Moses says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him 
you shall listen. So Moses is predicting there's going to come someday a prophet that God raises up like him and listen to him. In other words, he's going to supplant me and my word. Like Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, but I say to you, okay, here he is. This is the one. Listen to him. He's the prophet. He has come into the world. They got that right. Could be that the reason he went up on a mountain was to show that he was Moses. A kind of Moses. Like Moses. But they didn't understand what that was all about. They didn't, they didn't know what to make of it. They made of wrong things. Made it wrong. Go with me further down in the chapter to verse 32 and 33. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Talking about manna in the wilderness. Not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, when you think of me as the prophet like Moses, don't draw the parallel too tightly. I am like him, but I am oh so much more than him. God gave you the manna. I just gave you bread out of nothing. So am I more like Moses or more like God? think Moses gave you the bread and that I'm the new Moses? You're missing it. God gave you the bread. I'm giving you the bread. You understand? I'm giving miracle bread, inexplicable bread. Out of five barley loaves, I'm multiplying mystery bread. I'm not just another Moses. I'm greater than Moses the way God is greater than Moses. The bread that I offer you is greater than manna the way God is greater than manna. I am greater than manna. I am the bread that I'm offering you. These are signs. Go through them. You don't know me. You see my power, and you don't know you don't know how this power is meant to be gloriously used. You you're drawing lines from the power that you're seeing, and you're drawing them in a very wrong direction. Now how how was the power that made the bread out of nothing and satisfied. They ate to their full, their fill, 5,000 plus. 
How was that power going to wield? How was Jesus going to wield his power? How was the glory going to wield that power? So go now to verse 51. Verse 51 in John 6. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He's getting real specific now. It's even going to get more so as he goes. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, there are at least three things they don't see about this bread. Number one, you don't see that I'm going to use my power not to triumph over the Romans, but to die for your sins. I'm going to give my flesh. You don't see that. Secondly, you don't see that I myself am your food. It's me, not my gifts, that your soul needs. You don't see that. And third, you don't see the connection between the two. The way that I will become food for the souls of sinners. Sinners don't deserve eternally life-satisfying bread. So how are you going to eat it, sinner? How are you going to enjoy this forever when you deserve judgment? Answer, I'm going to give my flesh for your, your sin. So by giving my flesh, I become bread. It's the way I become bread. And you're, you're taking this powerful moment and just drawing a straight line to full bellies and Roman defeat. The clearest statement of all is verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. The life the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, you're right to call me the prophet, for so I am, but not the way you think I am. What about King? Verse 15, perceiving that they were about to make, come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So, you're about to come and make me king, I'm leaving. Is he not the king? Well, at the end of, of the gospel, John 8, 18.33, he's before Pilate, remember? And Pilate asks him that question. Pilate says in John 18.33, are you the king of the Jews? Pretty clear statement, question. And Jesus answers in verse 36 of chapter 18, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, the answer is yes, but not the kind you think I am. Same thing here in chapter 6. Yes, I'm a king, but not the kind you think 
I am. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he doesn't mean this world doesn't belong to him. He made it. He owns it. He rules it from heaven invisibly. It's his. He will come again. He will claim it. What he means is this. I have come into the world the first time to rule men's lives not by being their military captain, but by being their bread. I have come into the world the first time to rule, to rule, govern, control, guide, lead, possess, own people, not by military conquest, but by being bread to them. I'm going to triumph in this world, not by subduing armies, but by satisfying souls as the bread of heaven. This is the way the battle rages. What satisfies your soul? There's the battle. And he will win it by being bread for his elect. And you will know you are one if he satisfies. It moves by the Word of God, displaying His all-satisfying worth, beauty, glory. And eyes are opened, and Christ becomes the all-in-all for His people. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, because I've become their bread, I've become their water, I've become their light. Oh, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. But the whole world does. There's the war. Not this piddly stuff between nations and armies. So back in chapter 6, the crowds don't understand this at all. Verse 26 is the key to why Jesus withdrew from them. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the love. That's pretty devastating. You are seeking me not because you saw signs. That is, you didn't see through the signs to what they were signs of. But you just ate your fill and thought, Jesus is very useful. This is dangerous and so relevant. They hadn't changed. <laughs> they had all the same appetites they had when they came to Jesus. But now they can see a better way to get them satisfied. So he has become wonderfully useful. You can do songs to that. 
You can build your life around that. It's called the prosperity gospel. And the essence of the prosperity gospel of every shade is that it leaves people unchanged in their old appetites and then provides Jesus to meet them. Which is what the Gospel of John is all about. Not doing. God help us. Are, are your existing appetites just the same as they always were before you came to Jesus and He's just useful now? Better business, better marriage, better kids, better, better everything I wanted before. Well, then you don't know Him. He didn't come to serve your unregenerate appetites. He came to give you new appetites. That's the meaning of being born again. The meaning. That's what this whole book is about. We must be born again. And so many leave people untransformed in what they crave and then add the power of Jesus to get it. That's not the gospel. It's a kind of acclamation that Jesus walks away from. I mean, picture it. They were thrilled with Him. They would have said they loved Him. They would have done almost anything for Him at that moment. Come on, we're impressed. You got power. You're the prophet. You're the king. We've been waiting for you for, for centuries, and you've just displayed godlike power, and we're ready to make you king so that we can get in line and go to Rome and end this tyranny. And he leaves them. So what's he doing here in these 15 verses, this event? What's he doing here? He is opening a window on who he is. He's manifesting His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Chapter 1, verse 14. This is what He does in every story. He is revealing something of His glory, and it's not a glory that they were understanding. He's opening a window on His glory not that we might get excited about how useful He is to our unregenerate cravings, but how powerful He is to transform our cravings so that He becomes our satisfaction. So you got bread, call it anything you want. There's a thousand breads in the world. You've got it, you love it, you need it, it satisfies your soul almost. You meet Jesus. And you see power, you see wisdom, you see love. And unchanged, you take this need, stick it in there, and He becomes the motor to help you get more of it. Now He's really working and you're getting, and you're lost. You may think about him all day long and be lost. No, 
The point of making bread here out of nothing, God-like manna, is to say man does not live by bread alone. It's the same in the wilderness, both Old and New Testament. The Son of God is revealing Himself here as the one who's come into the world not to give bread, but to be bread. That's as simple as I can say it. This miracle means, I have come. I'm here for everyone to be your bread, not to give you bread. Whether you get upset about that overstatement probably says something about your heart. Because the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our day bread. And if you went there right away to nullify what I said, something's wrong with your heart. When he gives his flesh on the cross, he becomes bread, all nourishing, all satisfying bread for sinners like me and you. Let me close by directing your attention to verse 6. Um, he said in verse 5 to Philip, where are we going to get bread for all these people? So Jesus is asking Philip, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And, and verse 6 says he said it testing Philip because he knew what he was about to do. He's testing Philip. And I believe that he's testing you right now. Just like that. North Campus, he's testing you. South Campus, he's testing you. Sunday morning downtown, he's testing you. Those of us who are here tonight, every person in the hearing of my voice is being tested like that. That's why that's in the text. You didn't have to test anybody. Every story in the Gospel of John is a test of whether we have eyes. Nicodemus was being tested. Jewish leaders are being tested. Woman at the well is being tested. These folks are being tested. Fail, 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 fail. Why does he tell this, these stories? Because there's so many failures. It's because John and Jesus love you. Isn't it helpful? so helpful to me to see my failures writ large in the Bible with a way out. That's really helpful to me, to know myself, see myself. Whoa, yes, get me a new computer, Jesus, or some health. I don't want to die yet. To know myself and how I am prone to use him instead of love him, delight in him. Be satisfied in Him. Pursue Him for Him. To know that He came into the world to be bread for me, not mainly to give bread to me. I find these failures helpful because they're mine. So you're being tested. 
Will you see the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, on His way to the cross to give His flesh, rise again, that He might be mainly gift, not giver. Mainly. Mainly gift, not giver. Will you have Him as the satisfaction of your soul? Or must you have His gifts? And if He won't give them, you're done with Him. That's a big question. And you are being tested. I hope, I urge, I plead, and I will now pray that you will pass the test. That is, say to Jesus and mean it, you're enough. You take me out tonight, you're enough. You take my wife out, you're enough. You take my child out, you're enough. You take my job, you're enough. You're always enough. Father, we have feasted at the Lord's table and we have feasted on Christ in His Word and we are thankful for the banquet you spread at the table and the banquet you continue to spread in the Gospel of John for us to eat. Take us, I pray, through the Gospel through the stories, through the events, to yourself. Holy Spirit, this is your work. Come. Come in all these campuses. Come to everyone in the hearing of my voice. Come and glorify the real Jesus. Make Jesus bread for us. I ask this in His great name. Amen.